0: Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 to 29 and again that's Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 to 29 Please stand for the reading of God's word Hear now the word of the Lord Not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, and the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning, everybody, it's good to see you. It's good to be back. And uh, I, um, yeah, every time I go away, I just, I really miss CGS, and I'm so happy to be back and to worship with you. And then um, this passage comes up. This is a very difficult passage, but uh, we'll get through it together. Uh, Just want to remind you that this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. It's the start of our Lenten season. And so if you want to participate with us, then come to this sanctuary at 7 p.m. So we'll have our service at 7 p.m., and it's going to go from 7 to 8. So we're sharing the space with Pilgrim Church, and they're going to use it around 8.30. So we try to finagle the best we can. That's why we did 7, because they needed a space too. And so 7 p.m., we'll do our Ash Wednesday service. That's how our Lent Starts. A lot of you have been considering, oh, should I fast something for Lent this year? Or should I give up something for Lent this year? Um, I think that's a good kind of struggle, um, just to try to discipline yourself. Our sister came up and said she was going to do the half marathon, the physical discipline as well well as a spiritual discipline. Um, I have have told, I think I said publicly, I will never do a marathon. But I have been convicted these days because... I think people have just been saying, why don't you try it? And I said, eh, maybe. So uh, if at least 12 people sign up, I'll run the half marathon with you. How about that? <laughs> I don't run. So this, this is going to be knee-breaking and maybe even foot-breaking for me. But uh, it'll be groundbreaking because I'm so heavy. Uh, but I'll give it a shot. Uh, at least 12, though. And then I'll, I'll do this uh, study with you. I don't know if I'll regret it. But, um, you know, whatever you're praying about, thinking about, you know, lift it up unto God. And I hope that He blesses you this season. We always try to prepare ourselves because Easter is such a spectacular holiday for Christians. It is the ultimate pinnacle of what we believe Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And if you have faith in Him, regardless of what you have done or what you do, he is the one that saves you. That's what we believe. And we're preparing ourselves for the next six weeks to, to go through this. And so, um, whatever you do. And if you would like me to pray with you and whatever you're fasting, uh, please feel free to share that with me. And I'll be happy to pray for you and with you every single day of this Lenten season as you fast. Um, so, this is going to be... Uh, A little break. So, we're going to continue on Matthew. We're going to finish Matthew. Before this Lenten season, I decided to kind of take a break and we're going to do a different sermon series for the next six weeks. And because we always, whenever we gather on Saturday, we um, pray hum. Hum is holiness, unity, and maturity. So, we're going to take these next six weeks to preach on that. So, we're going to take two weeks on holiness, two weeks on unity, and two weeks on maturity. And then the wonderful finale, pinnacle, will be Easter. And so that's what we're going to do for the next six and a half weeks. But we're going to start off this Ash Wednesday, so I invite you to come and join us. Well, let's pray before we begin our sermon today. God, our helper, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may be led into your truth and taught Your will, for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. We have three um, brief uh, kind of subjects today. That is self-deceived, obedience, and saved. Self-deceived, obedience, and saved. This is a troublesome passage for many pastors because this is a savage passage Uh, We are at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom of God. This is good stuff, but this final portion has theologians. And even if you are a casual reader, if you just read this for the first time, it's considered one of the most, I'm not exaggerating, this is not hyperbole, This is considered to be one of the most tragic portions of the entire Bible. Don't let your spirit fall asleep when you read this one. Be alert and be awake, just as Jesus said just the paragraph before, the passage before that Pastor Paul went over last week. Be alert. J.C. Ryle writes this, The Lord Jesus winds up the Sermon on the Mount by a passage of heart-piercing applications. He turns from false prophets to false professors, from unsound teachers to unsound hearers. There's a writer named Tasker who, who wrote this comment. It is not only false teachers who make the narrow way difficult to find and still harder to tread a man may also be grievously self-deceived. When you think about this, you may think, oh, this is about people who believe in Jesus and people who don't believe in Jesus. Obviously, it's uh, Christian and religion versus atheism. Um, I, it is not. It is not. Uh, I do enjoy talking with people who have um, atheistic, maybe, arguments. Maybe they're not an atheist, but they have really sincere and deep questions about suffering if God is really a good God how can there be suffering in this world how can there be so much injustice in the world I think those are incredibly deep and important questions for us as human beings to answer I do believe however atheism brings these questions to play which is important they play an important role but they don't give an answer and so they can criticize, but there's no answer to it. So I really do like speaking with them. It just even challenges my faith as well. However, this isn't about the believer and non-believer per se. Look at the first pas- pas- uh excuse me, the verse. Jesus goes, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, what is Lord, Lord, is kurios, kurios, which meant master. It could technically mean sir. It could technically mean sir. So if you had, like, if you wanted to say, like, an honorific to someone, like Mr. Kim, you can call him sir, and that could have been used. However, we do not think it was used in, like, an honorific term like sir. We believe it's meant to be used as lord or master. Why? Because it's mentioned twice. We went over this when we did Genesis. Anytime something is mentioned twice, it's an emphatic statement. It's an exclamation mark. So anytime something is mentioned twice, I remember going this, uh, over this with uh, Joseph. Uh, do you guys remember Joseph was tempted day, day? And that meant day after day after day after day by Potiphar's wife. And so anything that's mentioned twice is an emphasis. So to say, Lord, Lord, is someone, think about it. Who says, Lord, Lord, emphatically? emphatically this is not the non-believer that we're talking about or that we have in mind these are people who really believe in their heart they think they believe at least that jesus is lord you would not call jesus lord unless you thought at least at some level he was lord right Right, and so Jesus starts off this passage by saying, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And that should make your heart sink, because it makes my heart sink. What does that mean? If I say, Lord, imagine it's the last day. And then you're like, Yes, Lord, Lord. And Jesus goes, You're not going to enter. That's tragic. And that's the first sentence of this passage. But he goes, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is, excuse me, in heaven. You have to do the will of the Father who is in heaven to enter. He continues on. And he qualifies that statement by saying, "On that day, what is that day? We believe that day is the judgment day. It's the second coming." So when Jesus comes again, "On that day, many." Now this word is really what just kind of puts that final pin: many. This word is the same word many as the wide road. Remember uh, last week we talked about many go on the wide road and a few go to the narrow road. It's the exact same word. That many can also be translated as a great number. A lot of people. On that day many will say to me again. Lord, Lord. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Prophesy doesn't mean only predict the future. In fact, it rarely means predict the future. Prophesy means you speak with um, weight. There is a heaviness on what you are saying, and you, we believe that it is coming from the Lord. That is prophecy. And so, did we not prophesy in your name? So the people that are saying, Lord, Lord, aren't just people who give lip service. Read it with me. Don't you see? They are saying, we prophesied in your name. That means when I spoke, people qualified. They they said, yes, this is prophecy. What you're saying has weight to it. This has unction. What you are saying is definitely of a spiritual level. Prophesy. And they go, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And here we go. Here's the next one. As if there were, it wasn't a crescendo that they were trying to give a defense for themselves. And cast out demons in your name. How many of us can say we've casted out Demons in our lives. But here it is. These people prophesied. They cast out demons. And here's the third one. And do many mighty works. Mighty works can also be translated as healing or miracles. People who did miracles. In whose name? In whose name? Wasn't it in Jesus' name? And then I will declare to them, says Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You have to excuse if I get emotional because this is quite the emotional passage. In my opinion, this is quite the heavy passage. There are places today that call themselves churches. There are people today that call themselves Christian, and they do exactly these things. There's prophecy going on. There's casting out of evil spirits going on. There's healing miracles going on. And Jesus goes to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evil people. Lawlessness can also mean evil. So you workers of evil, didn't I do it in Jesus' name? Didn't I serve the church in Jesus' name? If we want to see this in context, we have to remember what we read last week. And last week, we saw that there are wolves in sheep's clothing. There are people who would deceive people in the church. Do you think that they are going to announce themselves as they go into the church? Hey, guys, I'm a false prophet. I just want to let you know, but I'm going to sit right there in this seat, and I'm going to confuse everybody. As many as I can, I'm going to drag you down to hell with me. No. But they are deceivers. They are sitting here among us. That's why they're wolves in sheep clothing. That's why Jesus goes, stay alert. Don't let your guard down. I would even say, the things that I am speaking, test them against the scriptures. Be faithful like the Bereans. When they heard something, they received it. They tested in the scriptures and then they received it with Joy you know what the difference between a skeptic some of you may be skeptical some of you may be doubtful about some of the faith or some of the things in the bible and a cynic the difference between a skeptic and a cynic is a skeptic once we give you evidence that this actually happened you change your mind a cynic no matter what we give you you don't change your mind It doesn't matter what is said. It doesn't matter what evidence is put out. You don't care. I was talking to somebody um, very recently yesterday, actually, about how our political system is, and how all this stuff is coming out. Uh, One of the president's ex-lawyers came out, gave a testimony, and then there was a poll done afterwards. So, if you were, uh, you know, a Clinton voter, what did you think? And if you were a Trump voter, what did you think? And after this testimony. Over 90%, over 90% still believed what they believed. It changed nobody's mind. This is the kind of society we live in today. That even if there's evidence out there, it will change nobody's mind. And we don't, the, the whole point is do we even care if there's evidence out there? Are we even seeking that evidence? But this isn't about that. This is about people who say, Lord, Lord. This is not about false teachers now. It's about false hearers. In false hearers, we see that people who think they know God, Jesus says to them, I never knew you. We have people now that really do think they are Christian. But they don't obey Christ. They don't put Christ first. What do they put first? They put their agenda first. They put their political agenda first. They'll come to the church and they'll be like, I need to serve God. So I need to climb up this ladder. This ladder that's apparently built in the system, the government or polity of your church. You have offices so we need to get there so i can be a leader and that's what i really want they have there's other places where they would teach you need to have if you want to be a christian you need to have prophecy you need to cast out demons you need to have this spiritual power you need to do these miracles and then you're a christian i can tell you that you are sorely mistaken just literally read these words that is not what makes you a christian you can look up to people that do that. Wow, look at, look at Pastor Eugene. He could prophesy, like, woo. Like, he told me about my life, like, you wouldn't have believed. That could be true. But does that make you a Christian? I'm asking you, look at what Jesus is saying. There are people who say, Lord, Lord, they know the language the, going to church is so basic. This is not what they bring out. They don't go, Jesus, I went to church every Sunday. I mean, a few Sundays I missed because I needed to go on vacation. But you understand because you're forgiving and merciful. And I pay tithe. Okay, I didn't pay my full tithe, but I pay like at least 8%, God. And so you understand I needed that 2% to go on that vacation. So I, I did all these things and I'm doing these things. He, they didn't say that. These are people who gave their lives to what they thought was Jesus. You don't get to prophesy by doing Christianity part-time. You don't get to cast out demons by doing Christianity, the life, part-time. And you don't get to do healing miracles by just coming to Sunday once a week. It doesn't happen that way. Give me one example. There are zero. These are people that studied These are people that really put themselves and poured themselves into these things. And to have Jesus Christ say this to them on that day is a tragic, tragic. I think it's the most tragic thing that I've ever read in the Bible. How would you even stand up to this level of scrutiny? When Jesus goes, I never knew you, that word knew, we see, is in the Bible. Adam knew Eve, and then they had Cain. We see that Abraham knew Sarah, and then they conceived Isaac. There was a sexual aspect to it, but it was beyond just sex. It was an intimate relationship. So when God refers to knowing his people, his people, knowing him is talking about an intimate relationship. And Jesus goes, I never had an intimate relationship with you. Depart from me, you evil people. Who are the people that know Jesus and who are the people that Jesus knows? And he says it. The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You know what that means? That means that action accompanies faith. What's the point of believing that this chair exists here? If I don't use it when I'm tired and I sit down, this faith, this is here now I can sit down. I have faith this will hold me up faith leads to action it accompanies faith action always accompanies faith i'm not preaching salvation by works here this is the contrast is not between merit and grace but between what i profess and the way i live my life if i really believe the chair is here i really believe the chair is here but i walk like this as if the chair wasn't there you're like did you really believe the chair was there or not you would say, I don't think he really believes the chair is there. It's by the way you live. When we are taught to pray, let your will be done. And then go all the way back to, this, to the Lord's Prayer. Let your will be done isn't just some passive statement we are to recite. But we are called to participate in it. Let your will be done. We're called to participate It's obedience that God calls us to when he says, who does the will of my father? Whoever does the will of my father, those are the people that I know. What is Jesus teaching here? What has Jesus taught you, especially in the Sermon on the Mount? Didn't he teach you that you could trust him, that you don't have to be anxious didn't he teach you that you should seek God first above all other things? Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. First seek that, and then all of these other things shall be added to you. Didn't he teach you that? What does he teach? As soon as you believe Jesus in your heart, there must be an action. There's an action that happens. When, when the disciples came out and there was Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down and poured down on them and they were filled and they were prophesying, they were speaking in tongues and they declared the gospel, the good news. When people heard it, they're like, oh, I'm cut to the heart. What shall I do? What shall I do? Because faith is accompanied With action. And you know what Peter said? He said, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. There are things that the Lord commands us to do. And so in faith, we do these things. We hear the words that Jesus gives us, his teachings, and we follow them. Because that's what faith makes you do. And if you don't do these things, then you have to ask the question, do I have faith? Don't be self-deceived. If you are not doing the things God is commanding you to do, and you have no desire to do them, don't put yourself in that category, because it will be a tragic, tragic scene. I always see these, uh, these things as, man, this is really rough. Is there, you know, maybe I can soften it. <laughs> I, I don't know. Some, sometimes I, I think that in the back of my head. Is there any way I could say it nicely? People have, have said to me, Pastor G, make sure you, you uh, talk about grace. Talk about grace. Um, <clears throat> and always end with grace. Uh, and I go, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Uh, there is grace. Uh, but I, I'll preach grace if you see it here. You know, so I'm committed to giving you exactly what the Bible is saying and what it says. Here, it seems as though what Jesus is ending. So Jesus is ending this incredible, like, Sermon on the Mount with this incredible warning. How does he start? He goes, blessed are the poor, right? Do you remember that? Blessed are the poor. And he says, oh, you are with me. And then this is going to happen to you. You're with me and this is going to happen to you. You're with me, this is going to happen. Don't do this, do this. Don't do this, do this. Listen to me and be at peace. And so he is the one teaching them and he expects people to follow them. But if you don't follow them, then how can you call yourself a disciple of Christ? So what does that mean? It means that we have to recognize, and if you, if you see what I did here, uh, the three points is just SOS. Uh, we have to recognize that we can't do it on our own. I don't know anybody that can do this on their own. Just reading these three pages of what Jesus said already seems impossible, let alone there's so many more chapters after this that Jesus is going to speak. It's impossible. I can attest to you, The impossibility of following everything. When's the last time you were anxious? Two seconds ago. (laughs) He says, don't be anxious. The Bible is saying, don't be anxious. It's a command. Don't be anxious. And if I say the word finances, immediately anxiety starts to rise. If I say the word family, your children or your mom or your dad or your wife or your husband, immediately anxiety starts to rise. And yet God is the one saying, do not be anxious. We can't do it. There's an SOS that should be alerted. But when I say I want to really place my faith in Jesus Christ and him alone, nobody else, there's no other way. There's no other way we can get to heaven. And there's only two ways, guys, according to the Bible. You're either going to go to hell or you're going to go to heaven. And this is for eternity eternity. You're going to have your full faculties wherever you go. So you're not going to be like this little blip or something like, "Ah, I won't even feel it. But you're going to face the full wrath of God if you reject Jesus Christ. But however, if you receive Jesus Christ, you will receive the full pardon, the sanctification and the glorification that God has promised you. Don't you see This is the good news because there was no other way. And Jesus came to give us the way. And he's saying, if you don't know, then rely on me. And when I say, I want to believe in you, that comes by the Holy Spirit. There's no other way you can believe God. It's craziness, impossibility to believe in God. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, your heart changes and says, you're right. I can't do this. I don't have any desire, but the Holy Spirit starts changing you and starts giving you a desire to love God, to love his word, to follow with everything that you have to serve him. So now when you say kurios or Lord, you really mean it with every fiber of your being. Your desire is kurios, meaning I want a relationship with the lord i want to love him i don't want to just love Do you remember the rice pudding i don't want to just love the rice pudding i want to love the maker of that rice pudding i don't want to just love the things i want to love god and this is why it's a tragedy here now we have people that call themselves pastors we have places that call themselves churches and they think it's your best life that you're supposed to live now it's not true that's a lie Your best life isn't now. It's when Jesus comes and then he promises you that you will be with with him in eternity. That is your best life. That is why you can suffer a little here. Because Jesus goes, I suffered here a little bit. So you can suffer too because you're my follower. You will. But guess what? I'm going to be with you in the suffering. Even if you go through the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you. And then, when you come out of it, guess what? He's still with you. And you hold on to that promise because what else have you got to hold on to? There's nothing else. There's only two ways there's a narrow way and there's a wide way. And don't be fooled. He is calling his listeners to really listen. He is calling people who's listening to him to be alert. Be alert. That word many is a scary, scary word. And then he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. What has Jesus taught us? I, I went through um, the membership class today, had a really good group uh, listening, asking questions. Every time we have a group, I remember that group, because there's a special like personality each group has. Some groups ask questions, some have questions, and you can see it in their faces, but they hold back because uh, for whatever reason. Um, and they, each, each group has like a personality but then we went to this portion. As Christians, we are commanded to do two things, and we take them very seriously. We call them sacraments, and that's baptism and the Lord's Supper, and we're doing one of them today. We take it seriously. You know why we take it so seriously? It's because Jesus commanded us to do it. That's why we do it. When we do these things, not only are we people who have a relationship with God, we are people who declare our relationship with God. It's like when you fall in love with somebody, you don't just go, I love you, and then, but you are so enamored, so in love, you want to shout it from the mountaintop, I love this person, right? And you are declaring it. How does that happen? The Holy Spirit starts changing you. And you start doing the words that Jesus commands you to do. And Jesus goes on. He's like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish or stupid man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. That word great is mega. It was a huge fall. If you've ever been to the Middle East or saw pictures of the Middle East, videos or whatever, It's hard to tell the difference between sand and rock. It really is. Um, People, when you imagine this, people maybe in the States would be like, yeah, what kind of idiot would build a house on the beach, like, duh, like where the sands are, you would build it with a good sturdy foundation inward from the beach, obviously. But if you go to the Middle East, like even the sand feels like really hard ground. It feels like rock. And you walk on it. You're basically walking on dirt and sand. It's Ammon, right? And so that's the, that's the word for you're walking on it. So just you could build your house on it. It's going to stand. And you could have a really nice house. In fact, there are many houses that are built on sand. And there are many houses that I suppose could be built on rock. The word rock here is Petra. It literally means bedrock. Bedrock is a rock that you have underground, so there is some soil and sand on top. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know that you got to Petro or this bedrock unless you dug. Okay, so now that you see this picture and you see what Israel or the Middle East looks like or would have looked like as well. Uh, in the Middle East, there are flash floods, a lot of flash floods. In, in, in fact, there's flash floods. This year, uh, there was a flash flood last year, and unfortunately, it took the lives of nine teenagers in Israel, too. These flash floods are crazy. Um, they come out of nowhere. All of a sudden, where you have, like, dry ground, now there's a torrential river just roaring through this area. That's what flash floods are, and they had these. And so you would have thought, hey, this is just a walkway, I'm just walking, and all of a sudden the next day from flash floods, it would be a river, and you couldn't walk it. It happens from time to time. So people would have noticed, this is true. This is true, it does happen. And if you built your house with no foundation, and this torrential river ran through it, what's going go to you? What's gonna happen to your house? It's going to crash. And what about the ones that has the bedrock? It's going to crash. To stand, The picture here that you would see is these houses are literally next to each other. But some have a bedrock of foundation and some don't. Jesus also talks something about very similarly in a parable where he goes, there's uh, the weed and the wheat, remember? And they grow together and he goes, don't touch it until the final day. And then we'll cut them all down and then we'll throw the weeds into the fire and the wheat will harvest and save. Very similar picture here. But he does this with a lot of emphasis because you see here at every single house, there will be a flash flood. And when I, when I was a kid, I, I was given this picture where the rock was really high and the river would pass it. And the stupid people will build it on the bottom where the sand was. And then the river will come and shoo them away. That's actually not the picture that they would have seen. It's they would have built It as wherever they could the best they could but when you keep on digging you realize there's nothing to it there's no ground there's no rock it's just sand it's just dirt it's not going to stand but when you actually build it you could build it just as grand as the house next to you with a bedrock and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference how can you tell the difference and Jesus goes the floods come that's when you can tell the difference the winds blew it beat against the house, and if you're on the bedrock, it will stand, and if you're not, great was the fall of it. Great is that fall. This is an alerting passage because we have to see, when we're digging and there's nothing there, stop digging, guys. Stop doing it. Stop trying to hold on to something that's not true and hold on to what is true and start building on top of that. Jesus calls himself the rock the bedrock of our faith and our foundation. This is why he was saying, when you listen to him, you have a relationship with him. He knows you and you know him and you are building your house on what then? On the rock. This is what we are called to do. After Jesus says these things, the crowds were astonished. That It means they were so amazed that they were blown away. They were almost like, whoa, whoa, what is going on? That's astonishment here. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. I teach you as a scribe or a teacher. I'm just telling you what Jesus says. But Jesus is the one teaching this. Jesus is saying, teaching as if he was God because he is God. And when we take his words, we have to take it very seriously. Don't think I could take this about Jesus and I can reject this about Jesus. That is a lie. Don't think that. If anything, take every single thing that Jesus says and say, this is truth. And I am called to live that. How can we do that? There's a great song um, that we'll sing after. Well, that song says, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. Standing isn't just physically standing. Standing is living, walking, breathing. Everything that we do is in Christ. So whether we eat, whether we work, whether we breathe, we do it for the glory of God. That's what Paul says. And this is what standing means. I stand on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate meaning of my life. And I will stand on him and him alone. He is the one that has ultimate authority and sovereignty over my life, and I will choose not to give my allegiance to anything else but to him, and that is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. So even while we were reading this, if the Holy Spirit came to you, nudged you, rendered your heart even, convicted you, I'm going to say, take that seriously. If the Holy Spirit is saying, send an SOS to God right now, because your number one priority wasn't on him, the bedrock. You were building on sand. You thought, you thought you were saying, Lord, Lord, when in fact, you were really self-serving and self-deceived. Then cry out an SOS. Martin Luther got this, and he realized this, and that's why he goes... Every single portion of my life then has to be about repentance. Every single portion of my life is about repentance. That means I never think I'm always, always right. In fact, I'm always humble when it comes to what the Lord is teaching. And I will humble myself to his teaching and I will submit myself to him. If the Bible says this and if Jesus says this, then I believe it and I will follow it. That is obeying and listening to God That's why it's so hard. Who can do that? Very few. How can you know that you are part of the few that's walking on the narrow road then? How do you know? How do you know? We have many storms here. We have many crises, I suppose, before the ultimate one, ultimate judgment day, and they kind of tell us who we are, right? Like what happens when something really bad happens to you, what immediately comes out from your inner self? That's how you know. Test yourself. Examine yourself. That's what Jesus says before earlier in the passage. Examine yourself. Before we take the Lord's Supper, Paul also admonishes his hearers in Corinth. Corinth. Examine yourself. Examine yourself by the Holy Spirit. And if there is a way that is not right, then lift it up to the Lord because the Lord is merciful. He is good. The fact that you are hearing this means the Lord is rending your heart and there is hope in Jesus Christ for your life now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. Don't wait till next month. Don't wait till the next season. Obey him now. And if he says, do this, say, I'm going to do this now. And if he says, get rid of the sin, the sin is terrible. It's going to kill you. Get rid of it now. And follow him now. Don't wait till tomorrow. I'll give you a final example before we close. Uh, My late grandfather wrote a book, and in that book, it was all in Korean. So I I can't read it, but it was a book on uh, all his sermons. He compiled all his sermons and he put it in a book. And uh, one of my cousins, he took it and he said, you know what, I want to do my best to try to translate it. And so while he was translating, he was telling me some of the stories. And there was one interesting story that stayed with me because it didn't make sense, but maybe it made sense in the 60s, I don't know. But it didn't make that much sense, but it stayed with me and had an impact. So I'm going to share that with you. He said there was a man who went to the barber shop, and uh, the sign said, free haircut tomorrow. So he's like, nice. <clears throat> so he, he goes back the next day, sits down and gets a haircut. And then the barber goes pay up. He goes, I thought it was a free haircut today. He's like, no, look at the sign. The sign still said free haircut tomorrow. So he couldn't get, he couldn't get a free haircut. It, it's kind of a ridiculous story, but it stayed with me because we always think we could do something tomorrow. What if tomorrow doesn't come? Don't do it tomorrow. If the Lord is rending your heart now, do it today. Obey Him today. Give your life to Him today, and He will save you today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Let's pray.